It's always good. Just came home. Uh, got to sit in first class on the way to D.C., which was exciting. Uh, for free. Didn't pay for those tickets. Would never do that. It's absurd prices. But no one's flying. So they're like, hey, look, you, someone's got to sit there. Um, just got to pray for our nation, our nation's capital. And it, what, a, what an incredible envisioning trip for those who are on it. No you can ask them about it. I'm going to show you some pictures in a little bit about D.C. Just our nation is in need. Like never before, I think I was, you know, remember Acts 17. It's going to be probably about three years until we get there. But in Acts 17, uh, Paul was provoked because he could not believe the lostness in Athens. My spirit was utterly provoked when I was in the nation's capital. It was provoked not in a sense that there's no hope, but in a sense that just like Paul saying to the, oh, to the unknown God, you want to know, you worship all these other gods, you have all these other religions, but there's just one God that you don't know that can actually transform not only your life, but your nation. And let me tell you about him. So that's what we're going to do in D.C., We're simply going to tell them about the one who made him, because you can't assume that they even understand Genesis 1, right? But to take them back to the understanding that God created them for relationship, that he loves them, that he cares about them, that he cares about this nation. He's not abandoned us. In fact, he says that I don't desire that anyone perish, that he loves them. He loves us as a nation. He loves us. He's laid the foundations years ago so that we might have freedom in this land. Not guaranteed, right? The First Amendment is nothing but the grace of God. We don't have rights as Christians. The fact that we have a great nation, that we have the freedom, is the grace of God. So let's use it. Let's use it to our advantage in this hour. And so I believe that that's why we're saying let's go to Europe, because they're probably about 10, I don't know, some years ahead of us and the lostness, and that's why we said, hey, we've got to go to Europe. People are like, why Europe? They have churches all over. They're dead. We've got to go to Europe. We've got to see what God is uh, showing us as a prophetic, almost a prophetic image of seeing what it looks like when a nation abandons God, and so as we go to those places, we get to see what is happening to a people who lose restraints. It says in Proverbs actually says in Proverbs 29, says something like this, that those who lose vision lose all restraints. In other words, the restraint that that keeps us from full-blown sin, from wrecking our lives as a people or a nation, is the word of God. That is our vision. It's not some raw, raw, trying to emotional, emotionalism to get people to do something that they don't want to do. Rather, it's the word of God. It's God's word. It's, his, it's life. It's the spirit of God. That is what restrains us from doing whatever we want. And so if you still love the word, it's the grace of God. You have vision. You have vision for your life and for the many lives around us and the nations. But I want to, I, I first of all, we're going to uh, read a, a short passage today, but so it should be short on the short side, okay? Uh, Jessica, don't do that. 
She took like rolled her eyes and did this. No. But it is a short passage, but I, I do believe that this is probably one of our last Sundays where we'll all be together. I know travel's beginning in the next few weeks or so, and we're winding down for the season before we ramp up for 2021. How many are excited that 2020 is coming to a close, though? Woo! Yes. But how many are excited that, I mean, without a doubt, you, I mean, our word in 2020 was that we would flourish. And how many are flourishing? I know I am. I know many of you are. I've just, I mean, Jessica asked a great question. You know, what are we learning? What did we learn in 2020? I mean, I can't say it was an easy year. I don't think anybody could say that. There were no quick fixes and there won't be. Perhaps forever things will be different. But I believe it'll be good. They've changed for good reason. They've I'm, I, I couldn't be more thankful for what God did internally. You know, we're always reaching for the external blessings. But how many know that peace is more valuable than gold? How many know that joy is more, is more valuable than money, than prestige, than, than material blessings? How many know that a love for the truth should never be taken advantage of? A love for the Lord, uh, uh, just the fact that he even woke you up this season from perhaps apathy or lostness and the fact that we've neglected our neighbors because we're so busy with our own lives and agenda. But perhaps now we see it through the lens of God. We see, I know I'm different and I'm changed just from one trip. I, I felt like for a season I was going to D.C. every year and I haven't been there in the last four years and Wow, is it different? I don't know who's been there in the last so many years, but I know that there is a need for a mission team of 200 radical, Jesus-loving, passionate people of God to go rock that, the nation's capital. I do believe that now is the hour, the time, where we need to hold up the hope banner and say that the hope of the world still is Jesus. It's not a cure for coronavirus. It's not some political party, but rather Jesus. He's always transformed cities and nations. He's been doing it for 2,000 years. Why would he stop with a virus? Why would he stop? He's not going to. He's going to do it until he comes back. So turn your Bibles to Acts 6, 1 through 7. It's a very familiar passage. May, many of you read it so many times about the cry for help, the cry for people to care for the widows and orphans. And I want to get into it in a little bit here, but I believe that God is calling us again to look at Acts 1.8. Again, it's the vision of the church. It's what God has called us to. Many of you guys know that God has called us to be, if you put up there Acts 1-8, God has called us to be a vehicle to bring transformation to cities and nations. God has called us for, for the church for 2,000 years to not just care for the, our own backyard, for Orlando, but also for our state, for Central Florida, for Tampa, 
for Miami, Jacksonville, Tallahassee, Fort Myers, Naples, where the old people go, right? Where the old folks go, I think that is the Florida Alphabet song. Yeah, my kids can sing that to you by memory. <laughs> but God has called us to care for our state. The very first thing when we got off the plane, when we got into D.C., we went and I don't know if many of you know this, but there is a uh, Florida embassy, the only embassy, state embassy in Washington, D.C. We're walking around. It's right across the street from the U.S. Supreme Court. And we walked right in. We're like, hey, Mike's like, we got to go. We have to go. We got to go in there. You know, he's wearing uh, palm tree socks. <laughs> Thought he was going to take them off in the place just to show off his Florida <laughs> passion. <laughs> but they, uh, we, we went in, and I just think it was a great start, the fact that we left Orlando and we landed in D.C., but God said, first, I want you to carry your state in your heart before you carry the nation. And as we went into the Florida place, that she's, uh, our Florida embassy, this woman was telling stories about Florida, and just it, it made me, again, have a greater appreciation for the fact that truly, as, as you look at a United States map, I mean, many of you have it in your own mind. You don't even need to see it. But Florida is a very unique shape. I mean, it kind of sticks out, right? It's a peninsula. It almost acts like a rudder of some sort. I do believe that what happens not only in the nation's capital will transform the whole nation, but I also believe the same about Florida. It's a very unique place on the earth. It's now surpassed New York for the most populous state in our nation. It's Texas, California, and Florida. 18 to 20 million people live here. Of course, it then swells in spring break and in the summertime, of course, in the winter with the snowbirds. Our state is very important. It's very unique. It's a battleground state. It's a state that knows how to fight. It knows how to stand for truth. There's so many ministries that come out of here. Of course, YWAM, I mean, not YWAM, but uh, Crew comes out of here, and Wycliffe Bible Translators, and so many different ministries, pioneers. There's so many people. This land right here is saturated full of uh, people who are passionate about one thing, to get the gospel out. That God has always caused Orlando to be a hub. A hub uh, it's, it's a hub for the nations. It's a, it's a, it's a place to, of safety, a place where we can call home. And that was always in our heart. Our heart was always this, this uh, uh, to, to build a hub. I, 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 we know we, we want to plant many churches. We want to go to many different places. And to, to, to go to the craziest places on the earth, I mean, I know that when we come back, I'd love to just kiss the, you know, the floor, the, those, the, the marble floor of MCO. You know, it just, it's like, I'm home. Thank you, Lord. For some crazy place, right. Being in the middle of a bomb scare in the underground of, in Belgium, that was terrifying. To be the refugee camps where millions of people fled from Syria in the Middle East to come to France. And right there on the border of France and the English Channel and the England, people trying to jump up on uh, semis and getting hurt, sometimes even killed, to try to jump on a semi to hide themselves so that they could cross, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, and trying to get on the to ships and boats to get to another land of safety. God has called us to be in those crazy places. But in order for, to do that effectively, we have to have a hub. We have to have a home. We have to have a people, 
a family of people who love each other, a people that, that you consider this the safest place on earth. Maybe not the happiest place, because we know man and sin, but it is a safe place. It is a home. It's a place that we can come back to. We were talking around the dinner table in D.C. as we kind of had an upper room experience overlooking uh, downtown D.C. And one of the things that we were saying, I was, I was saying, hey, what, we need, what we need right now is we need people, young adults and families to come together and pitch in money to go buy a house, whether it's in Chiliota or Geneva or something like that, because we need houses for missionaries. We know that it's not just that we're going to be sending people, but we already have people out there in the craziest places on the earth. We've had people come in from North Korea, Afghanistan, Jordan. We've had people come from France and Europe and all different places in the earth to come here to share their stories, the craziest places on the earth, and just the stories that they tell I know I would never go, I, I mean, unless the Lord calls me, then he'd have to really, it'd have to be an angelic thing, yeah, I just, <laughs> you're going to Afghanistan with your family, I'm like, these are heroes, these are my heroes, as we started the, really the church, and we started the first ADS, having people come and share their stories, I was like, how can we serve these people, and thinking, how awesome would it be to have a a place here where we can raise up pastors and counselors and, and people that, uh, you, I know that if we have a house, you guys would deck it out so nice, Chip and Johanna would be jealous. You know, you guys would really do it nice. But also the, the, this is the land of hospitality, to have houses for people to come in from different places to use, not just for hospitality, for, for, for people to, you know, to, uh, just to go to Disney World, but for the right reasons that we have sunshine 365 days a year and we can help people rest. I'm sure our play, if we had built a house here, we'd have that place occupied 365 days a year. No doubt about it. There's a lot of vision for this church, but we need help. Really, that's what this passage is all about. That's what Acts 6 is really all about. It's about the fact that the church has been growing. It's, it's been up to 2,000 people with women and children. In fact, it says in uh, Acts 4, 4 and 5, 14, it says that there's 5,000 people, but we know they only counted men at the time. But So you can assume, just like the feeding of the 5,000, we knew that there's probably more than 20-plus thousand people. The church began to say, we need help. There was an organizational problem. There was a need. In fact, the Jesus said it himself. He said, the one thing I need you guys, the disciples, to pray for are labors for the harvest. There's so much work. Sometimes it overwhelms me to, to even look at a map. I know that we have a map in every room of our house. Uh, if you go to our house, there's just a, you know, I allow Nicole to have one whiteboard. But vision will dominate our house, not whiteboard. <laughs> but we need whiteboards. We need maps and whiteboards. We need vision and organization. We need apostles and we need administrators. We need them all. We need pastors. We need people. As people come in, we need people to, to care for those who are broken, who are hurting, who are, are in need of encouragement. We also need people to envision, to take more land, the Joshua's and the Caleb's, to take more land. We need that. We need all types of people. It says in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, that God has raised up different people in the body. We're various gifts, but yet one body, one goal, one vision to reach 
cities and nations. Not in a way of comparison, but in a way of using those giftings to do what God's called us to do. There's a lot of vision, but we need help. Perhaps your, your heart is more pastoral, and it is to, you know, I know we got people that say, hey, I want to go into biblical counseling. I want to learn how to counsel. I don't want the psychology of humanism and, and the things of this world to correct, uh, to, to correct soul issues or to, you know, psychology just really means the, the matters of the soul. Whose job is that? The church, not the world. The world can't fix spiritual problems. But we need biblical counselors. We need people to uh, tr- be trained in the pastoral care and to, to care for the missionaries even on the field. Perhaps you're like, I, I don't know anything about pastoral care in the church, but man, I will call our missionaries once a week. With the technology that we have, you'll never even have to board a plane. But then those who are bold understand that physical appearances matter. The boldness of maybe saying, I'll never be a missionary. I'll never be called to be a missionary. But man, I'll go to these crazy places to sit with their kids, to love on their parents, to give the parents a date night. To care for the little ones and say, hey, you're doing a great job. You're in the right place, even though it's a war zone. But some of you guys will be called. You are the apostles. You are the evangelists. You are the ones who want to take land in the 21st century. You want to be the Pauls. You want to be the Peters. You want to get out there. You want to care for those who have never heard the gospel. Those people in the middle of the jungles of Indonesia. People that, the, the adventurous. The people that are the, the, the Indiana Joneses when you were in middle school. I want an adventure. This is the adventure. To reach those who have never heard. That is your calling. And I know have people here. We have people on our campus right now that are sitting, watching YouTube videos, sleeping in. They have no idea what they're called to until you tell them. They have no idea what they're made for until you say something. Then we also need teachers to equip the body as we've gone through 2020. This is a year of the word of God that we need to equip people. We've been envisioning people for eight years And people are like, I need more. To give them the word of God, to teach them how to seek the scriptures, to find answers in the scriptures, to teach them how to fish so that they'll fish for the rest of their lives. To not necessarily spoon feed people, but train them up, as it says in Ephesians 4. We have lots of vision, but we need help. In fact, we've actually thought about going to... Not thought, but we are going to do it. But, uh, but we've envisioned that we need to go and still do world mandate. There's no world mandate this year as we know it. Everyone say, ah, that stinks. But there's a plan. <laughs> there's a plan. There's a plan. Okay, okay. I hate those things anyway. I don't know why. They... But here's the deal. We are going to do world mandate. And God is calling us to, to do it outside of Orlando. I think it's important to get outside uh, for, for a number of purposes. One, I, I don't think it's a good idea. Sometimes when you're at home, you tend to, I got to leave. I got to do an errand. I got to go home. I gotta, and just to get outside of our, our uh, normal routine. But God is calling us to go to either Tampa or Miami. Those have been the two focal points of our, 
Uh, and Tampa has been probably a new one for many of your ears, but n- behind the scenes, we've been talking about Tampa for a while now. But, but I, I do believe that, did I say something? <laughs> yeah, ta- I mean, well, hey, you know what? I've actually heard more about Tampa, about people's, please plant a church in Tampa because a lot of your parents are like, we want to see a church, an Antioch church there. So, uh, and so I, I want I, I don't want to be too practical here. I just, I want to stay in the flow of the spirit, but what I, <laughs> what I uh, what I want to what I want to say is at the end of February, because we only really got a couple weeks before we take a break here and come back, and it'll be we'll be ready to go in January. But uh, I do believe that for a three day weekend, take Friday off. Have some of our young adults take Friday off uh, if you can. If you can't, that's no big deal. Meet us for the night session on Friday night. But we'll have Friday night session. We'll we'll get we'll get to campus early at USF or Miami. Probably we're leaning more towards Tampa. You can pray into that. But just, you know, an hour and a half uh, down I-4, 100 miles exactly from here, from home, and, and just uh, get to campus, share the gospel, do a night session, begin to pray for the nations, begin to keep the nations at our heart, even though we don't know when the borders are open or we don't know when we're able to really go, but we've got to keep them in our hearts. So as we go, we'll do a session one, and then Saturday morning, we'll... Uh, probably do some sort of other session, go out for, share the gospel, go to the bars, or the outreach areas of USF. It's a wonderful location. It's only a 15-minute drive to downtown, 15 minutes to the airport. It's a wonderful location. Could be another hub. Perhaps one of you would plan it. It'd be so fun. I, I think we need more vision for our young adults to say, hey, look, you know, I, I'm becoming domestic. I'm gonna, just going to go help our sister church in Tampa. You know, you sacrifice a weekend, you go, you, you serve them, you serve the body, you serve the family, so that there'll be another hub. And then Sunday, we'll, of course, we'll just cancel church, which is more motivation not to be here, but not live stream it on purpose. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we'll, we'll go, we'll go uh, and do Sunday service there, and then uh, Sunday night, we'll head back here for the work week, but I believe it's... I believe that'll be good for us to always look, I, I think uh, we need something to look forward to. We, it's fun to say, hey, I can't wait for, you know, I, I know sometimes with work and the mundane and the week to week, which is so important, it's important to, to be disciplined and to be in your routine. Routine is good, but it's also good to look forward and get our eyes off of ourselves. How many know if we keep people on mission, we won't divide? We've got to keep people on mission. And then if May, around May 5th to the 10th, if I'm getting that right, right, 6th to the 10th, we'll go to Washington, D.C. be after finals. There'll be no excuse for the college students not to go. be just enough time to get the vacation back up for young adults and families. The good thing about D.C. is if you're looking at going to, uh, you know, if you can't make it, you know, for the whole time, you can always do a weekend trip. Uh, they have flights on the hour. It's D.C. from three different airports. They have three different airports within the radius. So there's a lot. Jessica's going to tell you all the details. For, for the sake of time, we've got to hold the nations in our hearts. I know that many of you have contacts from people that you've talked to, whether it's in Columbia, your time in there, Nathan, Kathy, your time there, people that you've talked to, just seeing how they're doing. I know in Japan too, you have contacts there. I know one of the one of the people that were was uh, was on the uh, one of the girls 
she still talks, uh, on the D.C. trip, she still talks to someone in Japan that is hungry, that wants to know more about God. So there's many different things you can do before getting on an airplane. But I'm hoping by next fall, we'll, we'll go somewhere. I just, we got to see a whole line of, uh, you know, in America, they don't really dress up uh, on, on, on our flights. But the foreigner, I mean, you, we got to see Emirates. They're all just, have you ever seen the, the Emirates stewardess? They're like dressed to the T. We also got to see Lufthansa. We're like, oh, I wish we could have gone to Germany this year. And we just, they're on the escalator down and full Lufthansa garb. Like, it's, they're going. We, the bars are open. <laughs> and so we're, we're thinking about maybe a late fall international trip. So stay tuned to that. I believe God has called us, even though in, in, in the midst of the unknown, we're called to plan. Because that shows that it's, it's in our hearts. We want to go, and when, it's, when we're released, we're ready to go. So Orlando, Tampa, Washington, D.C., and the nations. That is our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's the vision, church. That's what we're called to. There's so much vision in the church. There's so many different things that God's put in your hearts that have been untapped, have been untrained. I'm ready. Who's ready to see transformation in our city, the nations of the earth? All right, let's read Acts 6. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint rose, arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and of Philip, of Pronchicus, and Nicanor, Timon, Timon in Spanish, <laughs> Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these, were, and, and these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid hand, their hands on them to affirm them, to send them out, to empower them. And the word of the Lord, verse 7, kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. They even reached, <laughs> those were even really hard to reach with the religious because of the way they lived this out. So let's break this down. So there was a major growth problem. There's about 20,000 people, like I said earlier. Satan tried to stop the church in three different ways. Do you remember that? Number one, persecution. That was in Acts 4 and 5. We just read that. And by the way, uh, just great news. We were just right in front of the Supreme Court building. We were uh, literally going, uh, going up the steps. And so it was, get off the steps. <laughs> we were uh, charged to get off the steps. But, uh, but we were right there. And, and it just, it's, it's incredible. I'm so thankful. I had such thankfulness in my heart because there was just a, a court case that is, is allowing all churches to meet in our nation because of the First Amendment. You know, it's so, so awesome about that is that so many pastors have fought that. It finally made its way uh, to the Supreme Court. There's a, a well-known church in California that's been fighting and fighting and fighting. 
And when they, stuck, they stood by the, the famous passage that we just read, I mean, the perfect timing of it all, in Acts 5, that we must obey God rather than man. What an amazing fight. We won. Praise the Lord. I'm just so thankful because you can't, I mean, we say we win in such a way that I know it's apart from the grace of God, we'd never, it would never, it'd never be possible because it's not happening in other nations. I'm just so thankful that this means that God is with us. He loves us and there's hope for our nation. It really is that we are not, only, we are a hub in our city, but we're also a hub as a nation to the nations of the earth who's always in the last 300 years or so been very influential in other places. Obviously, good and bad. The second way that Satan was attempt to destroy the church was we talked about in Acts five one through eleven and Ananias and Sapphira the corruption of sin. If God, if the if Satan or the devil cannot come against the church from outside, he'll try to corrupt the church from the inside, as we saw. And the third way, which we'll talk about today, Satan was trying to disrupt the church with division, dissension. And then we find ourselves with a cultural problem. And who were the Hellenistic Jews? This is a cultural issue. issue. How many know that you can't just read the Bible and you can't just take your modern eyes, your modern understanding of Scripture and read into it and just say, hey, this is what the passage means to me. Guess what? It doesn't matter what it means to you. really doesn't. What does it mean to God? What was the intended purpose for that first century? And then you can bring it back up to speed in the 21st century and say whatever it meant in the first century, whatever it meant in 2000 BC, whatever God intended it to be for that audience, it means for us today. And how many know that takes work? It takes a lot of work. So there was a dispersion of the Jews. They were, uh, is a well-known, uh, basically the dispersion of the Jews. They begin, which just means the native Jews who leave their homeland of Israel to go to different places. And of course, the problem is, is they, as they go to different places, just like many, many of us today, when we, we could be influenced by other nations. And there was, they were influenced by other nations, including their own language. The native language was Greek for them not Hebrew and Aramaic. So they were called the Hellenistic Jews because they were Hellenized. They were, there was another, uh, they were influenced by other cultures. They were influenced by the Greek culture. So even though they, and somewhat, they were uh, uh, you know, true to Judaism, their own religion, they still had, a, there was a mixture of their own culture, a lot like today in a way. Just maybe even, you know, we, we're Christians, but we're also very Americanized. In that sense. But there's more to it because the Jews and the Greeks, they didn't like each other. In fact, they hated each other. So there's a lot of cultural issues that happened. They were considered what was called second class citizens. Does it ring a bell? There's even today, there's so many, uh, you know, races who are second class in that sense. And I'm not going to get into all that debate. I'm not going to get into all. We just went through a big mess of that this summer. But to understand that God looks at one man. He looks at all the races and he says, everyone can come to the table. He said, everyone can come to the altar and get to know me. Everyone can eat the same food and read the same Bible and receive the same transformation. 
racism is a sin. There's no doubt. It's one of the most evil things you can think about by treating somebody differently because of where they come from in the world. But in this instance, there was a complaint. In fact, so many thought that the complaint against the neglect of widows was because they didn't, uh, they just assumed the Hellenistic Jews just figured that Jews probably did that on purpose. They didn't really care about us because we're different. Now, of course, we know that's not the case. The Jews did not necessarily do that, but this could have caused a legitimate split in the church. This was actually a really big deal. The enemy was beginning to work out a split. Not only corruption because of sin and not only uh, discouragement because of persecution, but now splitting the church because of division over cultural issues. It was actually a big deal. So why was it so important to care for the widows? In fact, it says in Deuteronomy 14, 29, we don't talk about it a lot, but it says, and the Levite, because he had no portion or inheritance among you, and the stranger, the orphan, and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you are to do. James 1, 27, it says, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. In other words, besides the preaching and teaching of the gospel, what is really important to God is our purity and our service to those who are in need. That's church, 101. And I know we live in a very affluent area, and widows have nothing to do with that. Uh, but a lot of people ask, just speaking of the poor, uh, because we're somewhat on that subject, maybe people say, you know, we've neglected the poor. Hey, look, fair enough. We don't do a lot of caring for the poor here. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't give money to the poor. We encourage that. In fact, we have a few websites, if you want to ask, that we've checked and fact-checked and everything to make sure that the money is going to the right places. So if you do want to give money to the poor, specifically above and beyond your ties, wonderful. Do it. We encourage that. Not even no, more locally if you want to do that. There's nothing wrong with taking a team and going downtown or Orlando or going to different places. But here's something practical. If we can, we can spin off a lot of different groups to reach the poor, or we can focus in on this city that we're in, be faithful to the poor that we have among us. Because Jesus said they're always going to be poor among us. But raise up an army so that... that we are growing in numbers so that we always have enough laborers for so many different parts of the vision. Does that make sense? There was actually a church in our movement that was uh, focused so much uh, to, towards building amongst the poor. What a noble thing to do, but it failed. The reason why it failed is because they didn't have the workers, the laborers, the army for to, for, for leadership purposes and to, to raise up leaders in life group, to build the infrastructures, to build the vision out so that by the time it's built out, there's, there's people that have a, 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 you know, a, a heavenly a God-sized vision that there's a bunch of different people doing different things so that they can spin off a group of 30 and really not hurt the core. So God is calling us to the poor, yes, and he's calling us, of course, we don't, have too many widows in our church. I, I, I don't, we don't have a few. Um, 
but there's there's uh well no I, I don't do we have any I don't think we have any widows I, I know we have one spouse that did die and then they remarried um, but God calls us to care for for those people and here's the reason why I came across this is considered uh, virtuous to to be buried in Israel it's a little background so foreign Jews would come in to spend their last days there and then die leaving many widows so you know, you, I've often, I was wondering, why are there so many widows? Why is this such a big deal? It's because people came from different places around the, the surrounding areas. And because there was considered this virtuous thing to be buried, it's almost like Florida. Hey, <laughs> right? You, you're coming in to retire. It's kind of like wait, heaven's or hell's uh, waiting room um, when you think about it. it but it's a, it's a place where people die in a lot of ways. Playing golf or going for strolls on the beach. May God raise up people in their 60s and 70s to live the rest of their lives well. And this is quite the state for it. We should have giants of the faith living here. But uh, I will say that, uh, <laughs> that the reason why there are so many widows is the obvious fact that they came and uh, they died there in Jerusalem, leaving so many widows behind. And, and then I came across this because I, I don't know too much about widows. I know that it's one of the saddest stories when you think about it. I mean, you know, you get married and you live a good 50 years with somebody and then you realize you don't have them anymore. And, you know, while a woman's husband dies, everybody weeps. And just like most deaths, everybody weeps and uh, for them, and there's a lot of compassion, uh, but soon uh, into their widowhood, they begin to uh, be excluded from things that maybe their husband and the husband and wife were attending. You know, it's, you're now a single now. For so long, you know, in your 20s, you longing to be married, and really is the great reversal, isn't it? Life, when you think about it, how sad it kind of is in a way. Grow up in diapers, you kind of end that. Way sometimes, right? You need to be taken care of, <laughs> of, and you go back to sometimes singleness and really the hard, harder times of life, but they could be the most joyful times and most impactful times if they're lived well. But there was a neglect. Uh, perhaps there's many widows that just were lonely. There's incredible loneliness. And God just says, a loving father, he says, I care about, care about these people and I want my people to care about them. In fact, if we're in it for the long haul, we'll have our fair share of widows. And for one thing I want to do is lay the beginning foundations to care for people who are hurting. To make sure that we're caring for people who are on the fringes, the people who are marginalized, the people who are just, because of the busyness of our life, the enjoyment of our life, people get pushed to the side. Not, not knowing, that, not want, these, these, these people weren't being neglected on purpose, but they were nonetheless being neglected and what they did was they sounded the alarm to the apostles and said hey i know you're preaching and you're praying for the church but we need your help <laughs> and so the the apostles heard their complaint and really the the waiting on tables is not some sort of just it's not just waiting uh, it's not just putting tablecloths so to speak on tables it's the work of service diakonos it's a service Type it's, it's a it's the practical help of a church, 
And we know that that is important, right? And uh, not only that, but the, the Greek word actually for this, uh, for this type of service of waiting on tables really was not just waiting on tables as far as setting up and uh, camp, so to speak, and distributing food and administration, but it was also uh, waiting on tables had the, uh, the understanding of collecting money. It was a truly an administrative job it was, uh, to, to collect the money, collect the funds, distribute it well to not just to, to the poor, but also to the, 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 the various works uh, within the, the vision of that New Testament first century church. How many know it takes money to transform nations? It really does. The apostles weren't neglecting the poor on purpose, but they had a, a job. And that job was to the ministry of prayer and the preaching of the word. How many know that is the primary call of the church? Some have to do it, not everyone, but some have to. And sometimes we yank on the shirt, hey, we need you to do this. We need you to do that. We need, and if the apostles began to neglect that important work for the waiting on tables, not that it was some sort of lesser job or menial task or something for, you know, just let the women do or something weird or derogatory. There was, there was none of that in the apostles' heart. They just said, look, if we don't preach and teach, we'll never expand the kingdom. We'll never equip the saints to actually do the work of ministry. Healthy leadership is the back of the church, either the, the, whether it's healthy or not. I mean, it's, it, it depends. The, the health of the church depends on its leaders. And leaders are raised up as we equip them in the word of God. Moses understood this. In Exodus 18, he delegated the work to various leaders. And so what? He could preach and he can pray. That is the call of the elders. Let me hear this quote. Maybe this will help. Every year, 17,000 ministers in America leave the ministry. The primary reason is that ministers in the modern church are not encouraged, equipped, enabled, or allowed to, de- allowed to devote themselves to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Today, a minister is expected to be the CEO of a corporation. He's expected to do the administration and the work of development. He is expected to be an expert in counseling and pastoral care. As a result, we've raised up generations of pastors who are the jacks of all trades and masters of none. And one of the reasons why they do not open the word of God for the congregation on a Sunday morning is that they simply do not know how to. They have spent their time learning everything else but the text of Scripture. Not here. It's sobering. In fact, I'll say this, that, you know, I was asking one of our girls who's on the trip, or administrators, I said, how is the trip? She said, hey, it was super envisioning. I said, how so? The fact that we've been spending so much time in the Word this year, I didn't realize the work it was doing until... I was in front of the White House. You can't even recognize it. There's so much graffiti, not on the White House, but there's so much graffiti on the fence. It is literally, I, 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 you could, 
how many been to Washington, D.C.? You could not see the White House. And the reason why is because we have a new religion in America. We have a new religion. We have politics on one side of that fence, the White House, which represents the religion of politics, reliance on man to meet man's needs. Then the other side, we have Black Lives Matter, the organization, which is absolutely evil and corrupt beyond human understanding. They've painted Black Lives Matter all the way from the White House, all the way down the street, large yellow, you've probably seen it on the news. And then there's a church just right across the White House. Now, I hadn't seen the church because it's it's a yellow church. Uh, I hadn't seen that before uh, until it made the news uh, because of the protests and the destruction of that area. These evil men, women could get their hands on the White House. They'd burn it down to the crisp. But they got their hands somehow on the church and began to destroy the church. And I'll show you a picture. You can put it up. Try to get the one with the, the uh, yeah, there you go, that one. Just things like F Trump, uh, you know, just lots of uh, interesting messages. Uh, people even walking by, uh, you know, degrading women as they literally walk by. We heard uh, a woman uh, being degraded literally as she's walking by. It is hellish, to say the least. D.C. is a whole nother place. I hadn't been there in four years, and I just could not believe the sight of it. It is another religion. We have been worshiping man for quite some time, actually. And that church no longer now stands for, remind me of the, really, of a couple of things. It reminded me of Acts 17 that was provoked, as I said before. I was so provoked, I wanted to preach right there. But there was nobody around, because D.C. is virtually shut down. We had the whole city to ourselves because of the virus and the fear. But not only that, which was more disturbing than anything, was there was a church that was supposed to be light. In Revelation 3, it says that because you've lost your first love, I'll snuff you out. And it is now completely snuffed out. Every church, almost in every corner of Washington, D.C., doesn't have the cross anymore, but the Black Lives Matter flag. It is almost the equivalent of Baal and Asher. It reminded me of just the poles going up in the Old Testament to worship an unknown God, to worship man, to use human philosophies of Colossians 3 to try to fix sin. And the only thing that can do that is the gospel. So churches are beginning to fall apart, and we know in the restraint of the conscience, the first restraint that is lost is the conscience. It says in Second Thessalonians 2, it says that God gave us to a deluding spirit because we believed a lie. I couldn't help but think, but as you looked at Washington, D.C., that we've been given a deluding spirit because we've been belie- believing a lie. Literally, everyone that is buying into world philosophies, man-made religions, empty. 
They've been buying into a lie. In Romans 1, simple, God gave them over. The first problem that we face is the first gift that God gives us is the conscience. When we sear our conscience, we're no longer useful. We no longer make sense to the world. We no longer make sense to our families, our workplaces. The second one is the families. We've said that two gay men can somehow uh, adopt a child, which biologically does not make sense to have a child. They just don't fit. There is no, biology does not uh, affirm what they do, let alone spiritually. We're never made for that. It is grotesque. It is an abomination of God that the, our country does not only allow the killing of babies, but also for two men or two women to raise a child. If that's not child abuse, I don't know what is. That we've been murderous, child abusers, is sobering, but it is truthful. So instead of praying for the nation, we wreck our nation. We begin to uh, write horrendous, obscene things in front of where we should be respecting the president's office. In Romans 13, even Christians are buying into this mess. And when that happens, that leads me to the third restraint, which is our government. When we begin to say uh, ridiculous things like defund police because they're bad people, we're in trouble. There's the restraint of our minds. There's the restraint of families who use the rod on their kids. Where now psychologists are saying, if you spank your kid, you're abusing them. No, if you give your kid to two gay people, you're abusing them. When you give them, uh, uh, when you take God out of schools, there's, and you take the, 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 the tool of parenting out of the hands of parents, we have a lost nation. We're in trouble. I know a lot of what I'm saying today would perhaps get me killed in Washington. Perhaps it would get us killed in our own city, our own campus. But it is the truth. It's hard. And of course, the last restraint is the church. And thank God for the Supreme Court. We're allowed to meet. And even if we weren't, we would. Because the church is the last restraint of this society. And it really is a great reversal. We preach the word, our consciences are restored. Preach the word, parenting is restored. Preach the word, government is upheld. Righteousness and justice is in the land. And the only way to get there is prayer in the word. And Paul understood that. Before he even got on the scene, he wrote that in many different ways. He said, Romans 1, 9 to 10, he says, For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, 
is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers requesting if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I will succeed in coming to you. Ephesians 1.16, I, I do not cease, and by the way, this is almost in every one of his epistles, almost in every chapter, he's praying for his people, but I'll just give you some. I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Philippians 1, 1 to 3, well, I mean, sorry, 1, 3 to 4, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Colossians 1, 9, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard about it, have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul is a man of prayer. That is the apostolic call that I believe in 2020, and this is a year of the word, but in 2021, Lord, teach us how to pray again. And I believe that God is calling us to, again, to uh, learn how to fellowship with the Father again. It's been a hard year, I know that. But it's been a good year because God's called us to flourish. And the only way to flourish in Psalm 92 is being in his word. But in order for its effects to take full root in our lives and the lives of the nations is through prayer. Word can only get us so far. We know what we believe and why we believe it. And we're going to continue to equip the saints to do ministry. But if we want to see transformation, we need to pray. And not just that intercessory prayer, but that fellowship with the Father in our own personal lives. That's what we need again. How many of us, just even admit, I've talked to so many, just sharing vision for this next year, just have said the same thing. I just, I miss God. I know what he says, and it's so good. I love what the word of God says. So rich, it has equipped me. It's a it's foundational, it's rich, it's powerful, it's, it's, it's meat on my bones. Man, I just, I miss the fellowship of the Spirit. I miss walking with the Father. And so we're going to give everybody a journal in the next month for the purpose of writing your prayers down for 2021, to watch God answer them. Watch Him answer it. Watch them answer those prayers. Because it says in James, it says the reason why you don't have is because you don't ask. There's so much that God's going to do in his sovereignty in our lives, but there's so much that will be missed because of our lack of prayer. And I know God is wanting us to burden again our hearts to both fellowship with him and intercede. Paul was a man of prayer, but he's also a man of the word. In Acts 20, 18 to 21, we're going to close here soon. You yourselves know from the day, first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you, in the, with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials, which came upon me. Sound familiar? Through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was beneficial, teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, he preached the word. Preached the word in season and out of season, he says in 2 Timothy 4, Acts 19, 9, 9 to 10. It says, but, but when we were becoming 
hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people he withdrew from them and took the disciples away with them and had discussions of daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. How you want to expand the word of God? How do you want to expand the, 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 the churches all around the word, uh, world is the word. <laughs> the word, the word, word. <laughs> it is true. In fact, jail couldn't even keep Paul from preaching. Acts 28, 23 says, When they had set a day for Paul, people came to him at his lodging. In large numbers, he was under house arrest. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them from persuade them concerning Jesus from the, both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. Now Paul stayed two full years in his own rented lodging and welcomed all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching these things about the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. And in first. Corinthians 9, 16 to 17. For I preach the gospel and I have to boast about, I have nothing to boast about for I'm under compulsion for woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward, but if against my will, I have been entrusted with a commission nonetheless. Therefore, I run in such a way not to run aimlessly. I box in such a way as to avoid hitting the air but I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. This is for all of us. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, which I'll share later at the volunteer banquet. One of the things that is important to, to honor our leaders in the room because they work day and night, laboring for you to know Jesus. And then lastly, 1 Timothy 4, 11 to 15, prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give your attention to the public reading, to exhortation, and to teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was granted to you through the word of prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Take pains with these things. It's hard work. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. You know, I, I kind of the band up just for accountability purposes. I can see in the court of my will stop. But this last part of the passage here is really important that I believe God is raising up people like yourself here to help us to expand the vision of God here in Orlando, to be all that God has called us to be. And these are the qualifications. I'll read them to you because I believe that every person in this room is gonna be raised up for an assignment for such a time as this. God is gonna raise you up to expand here in the city, to expand in the nations, to expand in Tampa, to expand in the different places in Washington, D.C. Perhaps some of you may even be called to their team in D.C. Some of you are called to Washington, politics, who knows. But the number one qualification was that, and I love this one, but that seek leadership within the church. We don't hire from the outside. That's the uniqueness of Antioch. 
Why? Because it's our job to raise up people within the church. It always saddens me when you hear about a pastor who leaves and it's like their whole church is devastated. But that the goal of church is to raise up a plurality of leaders, leaders of leaders to lead the church because if the vision's that big, oh man, we better be praying for laborers and leaders because we'll never accomplish it on our own. Number two is good reputation. So number one, they must be within the church. Number two, good reputation. Integrity above reproach. In other words, the, qualifi- the qualification is really of elders. The standard is high, guys. Standard's high. You know why? Because it hurts, the, it hurts us as the church to see leaders being raised up and then falling because of immorality. Not just immorality, but laziness and lack of work ethic. Yeah, it could be some sort of immorality or pride or dissension, gossip, all sorts of things to disqualify. Paul said, I want to discipline myself in such a way that I not be disqualified. Number three, the, be full of the Spirit, which, of course, Stephen and Barnabas and Acts 6 and 11, respectively, they yield their control to the Spirit. We've got to be people that are filled with the Spirit, filled with the Word of God, and let Him lead us, not in a spirit of control. Though So much of the world functions in control. I mean, you see it in D.C. You see it in, in our workplace. Just the control God is wanting to break that in the church, to use broken men and women, as it says in 2 Timothy, for noble purposes. Lastly, wisdom. This is in James 1.5. It's what we should be praying for daily, that we would grow in wisdom, everybody in the church. But these are the qualifications. And you're like, man, God, why aren't you using me? It's because you don't look like this. It's simple. The qualifications are clear. Perhaps maybe there's not a use for you, not because of the qualifications, but because that part of the vision has not been highlighted yet for you. There's so much of the puzzle piece yet that maybe hasn't been highlighted. Maybe you have a heart to go to the Middle East or maybe you have a heart to go to Asia and it's just not time yet. You're fully qualified and you, should, you shouldn't beat yourself up for it. But in the meantime, serve. Find ways to serve the leaders of the church. Find ways. And here, have this as a cultural point that John and the leaders preach the word. I understand that that is a noble cause, that this church will not be equipped, as it says in Ephesians 4, which I'll read to close, that it is so important that we would not be carried away by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, but that we would be equipped as saints. And who does that? The leaders of the church. And how is it done? By prayer and the word. But how do the other parts of the of, uh, of the, the vision get accomplished? It gets accomplished by godly men and women rising up, saying yes, and accomplishing those tasks. Finally saying, hey, I want to serve. I want to be a part of this. First Chronicles 12 Men who understand the times, this is what we need. Men who understand the times with knowledge of what Israel or what Orlando should do. We got to understand our times. They're very unique. And in light of that, in light of vision, in light of the times, let's lead. Let's lead in this unique hour. Let's lead 
You are called to lead everybody in. And what I love about this is if it wasn't for these leaders, if it wasn't for the apostles and the priorities, you know what could have happened? Compromise in the expansion of the kingdom or a, or a split in the church. But because they were obedient to the calling of God on their lives, the calling of the unique calling of pastors and teachers, of preaching the word, of praying for the congregation, praying for the leadership of the church, praying for the direction of the church, and raising up uh, people with servant hearts to care for those people who are in need. If you want to care for the poor, then do it. If you want to care for the congregation, then go. Who's stopping you? Nobody is. I've always said, I've said this before, that there is no demon in hell that will keep you from the calling of God on your life. You will. Because God put it in the heart of man to transform cities and nations. So don't be, don't be a victim. You often tell kids, <laughs> call our leaders that don't, don't be a victim. Don't have a little party. But get out there and do it. We'll get behind you. And if you're missing some of the qualifications, we'll be delighted to rebuke you. <laughs> and you could do the same for us. You can do the same. But because of their faithfulness, they were able to expand not only in Jerusalem and Judea, but as you'll see in the next chapter, in chapter 8 and beyond, they went to Samaria, then to the Gentiles in chapter 10, and the ends of the earth in 17, 18, 19, to the close of the ministry, Paul. They did it. It was amazing. And we are living the 29th chapter of Acts every day of our lives. And power is available. Vision is clear. The people, the family of God are unified. We're ready to go. Let's go change the world. Let's do it. Let's not be on each other's backs. Let's not divide. Let's not give in to dissension. There's no time for it. One thing I know is I don't have time to divide after I've seen a scene at the foot of the White House. I don't have time to divide when I see college students absolutely wrecking their lives every Friday and Saturday night. I don't have time to divide and compare when I see whole families hurting their kids, unequipped to raise the next generation. I don't have time to see whole families being wrecked because of the philosophies of psychology and humanism. There's no time for it. But I'll tell you what there's time for. There's time for you to serve. There's time for you to get out there and get with the people of God and change the world. That is what you're called to. We've been doing that for the last eight years. You know what's so cool? We don't get an opportunity to do this. We've been really, in a, in, a, in, a, in a lot of ways, we've been all over the world in our nation. And I sit at these dinner tables, we'll eat out, whether it's at someone's house or we'll eat. For the first time, we're in D.C., and we're sitting down at the table, and they just started their church two years ago and really going after it, the perfect timing really to encourage them. They said, you know, tomorrow we're actually figuring out where our focus is in Washington. You couldn't have picked a perfect time. I didn't know that. 
We were going to actually go on the 12th and 13th of December going next week. But while we're in Detroit, we got this crazy idea that we're going to go to D.C. And so we went on this weekend. And it just was perfect timing on Friday night. The pastor of that church just said, hey, why don't you come over? We'd love to uh, get to know you guys and feed you and send you out right. We uh, partnered with another church in the morning. Uh, we didn't have to pay for any of our meals the first day. We just got to meet with a, another church, uh, David Platt's church. I don't know if you know those guys. Uh, in McLean Bible Church, really well-known church, 14,000 people. Solid church. There's a lot of evangelism. And we just thought, hey, we'd love to work with your youth group. We're starting a youth group in the next so many years, and we're just getting things off the ground. We'd love to see what you guys are doing as the youth go door-to-door, knocking on doors, sharing the gospel in uh, Northern Virginia. From there, we went into the city, got to ride around, uh, got to see what D.C. is really like. In a lot of ways, we rode bikes. We kind of owned the place, and in a lot of ways, you could post that picture up there of us on bikes. We literally were swerving around D.C., trying to get hit by a car, but there wasn't, there wasn't any. Uh, it was unreal. I mean, we had a brand new road. It's Pennsylvania Avenue. Our nation needs help. And as we were, as we were there uh, that night, one of the coolest things happened. We were just sitting around, just enjoying a Costco dinner. And one of the... Uh, one of the, the, the pastor's wife just said, you know, you're kind of famous in the movement because you take so many people overseas and you take so many people on mission. You just got off the, on the heels of Detroit and now you're in D.C. How in the world do you do that? We spent the next hour to two hours just talking about our church. And they were asking so many questions. I never thought we'd be there. I mean, we're just this little humble little church, a little dot on the map. But God is raising us up at such a time as this to reach, to not be scared of our times and the hour, but to stare darkness in the face with hope, with the hope of Jesus, that he still is enough. The word is efficient. The word is authoritative. The word is inerrant. The word is infallible. The word is inspired. The word is effective. And the word needs to be preached because we know it's true. It is true. It's the living word. But now we got to pray. God has called us to be a people of prayer, to take out the journals, to write down the various things that we're praying for, for our nation, for our city, for our country. It's so lost. For our hearts to break again, for people who are lost, and whether they're 75 in the waiting room, perhaps to be whisked away with angels or demons. It matters what we're doing, church. The sacrifice absolutely matters to give a few dollars to missions, will be seen. In heaven, your treasures are in heaven, not on earth, where they can be destroyed by moths or rust, but in heaven. One day we'll be surrounded by the throne where they hear 
constantly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. Say that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Hebrews said he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This Jesus whom we serve is with us. He says he will not leave us nor forsake us. He is with you in the dark. He is with you in the valley. He is with you in the mountaintop. He is with you in DC. He is with you in your dorm room. He is with you in your marriage when it's up and is down. He is with you when parenting gets hard. Parenting is worth it. He is with you in the miscarriage and in the birth. He is with you. He is with you in the breakup and coming together. He is with you, church. He is with you. It is so worth this year, 2020. It is worth the trials that we go through because it is working in us, it says in James 1. It is working in us something so radically deep that we will lack nothing going into D.C. There are new leaders. We did get a prophetic word that said that our leaders will bow down and go low in humility. And God will raise up new leaders in this hour. And he has. He has been so true to his word. You can trust the living word. You can trust it with everything you have. Everything that you have, you can trust the living word. You can trust it with everything you got. He is real. He is closer than the air that you breathe right now. He is close. With you in the darkest of times. He is with you. He loves you so much, and there is nothing that will ever leave, nothing that will ever cause his separation from you, ever, for all of eternity. Do you know that, church? Do you know it is worth every dollar you have in the banking account to lay it down at the feet of Jesus? It is worth every hour that you're sowing on campus. It is worth every hour that you're investing in your relationships. It is worth every hour, every time you leave Wednesday night at your dorm room or your workplace to go to life group. It is worth it. It is worth it. Every time you get out and say, I don't know if it's worth going to discipleship. It is worth it. Every time you get up and say, oh, I just want to snooze. It is worth getting up, saying no to the snooze button and being with Jesus before you make a mess of the world. You want to actually get in light. You want to walk in the spirit and make a difference and to be the light that he will never snuff out because of faithfulness. Because I'll tell you all around the nation, whether it's in Detroit, big monumental buildings with 25 people in it or DC with another religion posted rather than the cross, he will snuff you out if, with your unfaithfulness. Do not test him in that. He says it in his word. I literally saw the word of God literally living before my eyes in DC saying, if you do not be faithful, I will be faithful to snuff you out. But I'm telling you, if you are faithful, I will use you to transform cities and nations. And he's going to use us. We might be all tight in this little building, but we'll have a building of our own. We will expand in this city. 
We will not give in to other philosophies of this world. We will not get in, giving in to deluding spirits. We will not give in to emptiness, humanism, Black Lives Matter, whatever other religion is out there on the planet. We won't give in to protest because we don't need to because we got a God in heaven who has protesters. They're called angels. They're called the, the people of God who have gone before us, the Hebrews 12, the people of God. Those are the people who are cheering us on saying, do not take your eyes off Jesus because it is worth it. The crowd of witnesses in Hebrews 11 are now Hebrews 12 in our lives saying, do not give up. Do not grow weary, Galatians 6. Do not grow weary because you will reap a harvest of righteousness if you do not give up. Because what so we will reap. And we've sowed the word. Do you know how dangerous we're about to become right now? Do you have any idea? I'm scared to see Washington, D.C. absolutely get rattled by the gospel. They have no idea what's coming into their little rhombus. of a. They have no idea what in the world is about to hit them. Because when the people of God choose the word of God, the people of God choose prayer, the people of God are unified as a family, we will change the world, period. It will happen. It will happen. No matter what, it will happen. We got God on our side, whether the Supreme Court is or not, we got God on our side. And the nations will be transformed. They always have because of this book and the spirit of God who resides in us. And the family of God who chooses not to divide, but to come together, spend time with Jesus, give away what we have freely, what we've been given. And then leaders rising up to be the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, the prophets, the apostles, everybody is called to ministry in this place. You are all called to be men and women of wisdom, the spirit of integrity. You are all called to that. Do not look to your neighbor and say, they'll do it. You are that one. So grab the journal when you give it to you. Jessica will get you some journals. Probably dollar store journals. Don't, not like moleskin, okay? <laughs> we don't have money for that. <laughs> Breno can buy you moleskin. Ask him. <laughs> if you need a moleskin journal, ask Breno. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for, again, giving us the vision of what you have for Antioch Orlando. God, I pray for this break to be incredibly restful for every person here. As they go back to their families, let them be light. As they go back to their workplaces, let them be light. Let your light shine so that they might see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven.